Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fop.church. Turn with me, if you will, to Job. Now, my dad said this to me a few months back. He said, you know things aren't going well in your life if people keep bringing you to Job. Right? Anybody ever been in a season where it seemed like every person you talked to was like, well, I'm, I'm reminded of Job. And you're like, yeah, of course you are. Because um, my life stinks right now. Um, and Job, how many know Job, that's a tough, it's a tough book of the Bible to read. But this morning, I don't want to really talk about Job. Job's just going to be my example. It's going to be my anchor text today. What I want to talk about is your eyes today. All right, so everyone look at me. and Look at the person next to you. I want to talk about your eye. Look them in the eye. I want to talk about eyes, which I thought was so strange. I didn't even think about it. Um, that song, Remember, it, it says, look at him, look at him. We just kept singing it over and over. I think we're probably end up doing that at altar call, guys, if you don't mind. But just look at him. Look at Jesus, right? Um, and we'll look at Job real quick. I'm going to skip around here. Um, I'm going to read verse 1, then 4 and 5, and then 7 through 8. And it says this, is there was a man in the land of Uz or Uz or however you want to say that. It's a strange place to live. I think, if you said, hey, I'm from Uz, or Uz, I don't know. So his name was Job, and that man was blameless, an upright one who feared God and turned away from evil. So you could say he wasn't looking at evil, he was looking at, he was looking at God, right? It says, his sons used to go and hold feasts in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. What he's saying here is, Job, we're going to find out he's super, 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 super rich. He was so rich that his kids would have these parties. And what he was afraid of is why they were having their parties is that they had sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And Job was like, I'm going to make sacrifices, not just for me, but also for my kids' sake. Now that's loving the Lord a lot. He would rise early in the morning and set his eyes on the Lord and sacrifice for his kids. But if you skip down to verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth. We don't say to and fro a lot these days. It just means going all over the place. I was going all over the place, to and fro. Um, you guys can't send messages in Messenger when I'm using my phone. That's my sermon notes, okay? I'm getting your messages to each other. Um, you guys got a group chat going on. Um, he said, to and fro from the earth, walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, blameless and upright man 
who fears God and turns away from evil. So what I see here is it's not just Job who had his eyes on God. It was Satan who had his eyes looking for somebody. But it wasn't just Satan who had his eyes looking for somebody. It was also God who was also looking after some people. So this morning I've got three points. I don't often have three-point messages. I usually just preach through a passage. But I want to talk about the eyes of men, the eyes of Satan, and the eyes of God. So look at the person that you say, the eyes of man. We're going to include women in that too. This is not just a sermon for the men in the room. All right, ladies, you must pay attention. The eyes of humans, if you will. All right. And then say the eyes of Satan and the eyes of God. In Psalms 101.3, you don't have to turn to all these. I'll let you know which ones that we're going to spend a little time on. It says this. It says, uh, it's the psalmist writing saying, I will not set my eyes, um, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of all those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. I will not set in front of my eyes, I will not set before my eyes things that are worthless. Now, how many know it's, it's bad to look at sinful things? Would it, you guys agree? But there's this whole other area that sometimes we don't think about is that we set our eyes on worthless things. Ever, anyone ever spend a lot of time like wasting your time doing something? Not that you found out later, well, that was a waste of time. That's always frustrating. When you thought it was meaningful and later you go back and like, that was, but it's actually a meaningless, worthless thing and you know it is and you do it anyway. Sometimes it's good to take a break. I'm not, not, I'm not coming down on your break times or you like need mental relief. You know, I know all of us have jobs or sometimes we just need a break and I'm talking about we just invest our time by putting worthless things before our eyes. And I think our culture is very guilty of that. And if we're not careful as people of God, we can do that. That's why I think it's so important to get up every morning and start your morning abiding in Christ. Like it says in John 15, to abide in the vine. The reason it's so important is because from the word go, you're setting your eyes on the most important thing. And then through the day, as worthless things pop up, you realize, hey, that's worthless compared to the way I started my day. In Matthew 5.28, this is going more towards the sinful side of things. We all know this. It says, everyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here's what's crazy, is it's not actually committing the act of adultery that's the adultery. It happens way, 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 way before that when you actually just look on someone that you're not married to and you go there in your head. You look on them with lust. It's your eyes. I remember uh, we used to sing this song when I was a little kid. Maybe you sang it. It went, oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Anyone used to sing that one? For the Father up above is looking down with love. So be careful, little eyes, where you see. Yeah, like, be careful what you're looking at. Maybe I shouldn't be, maybe everybody else is looking at it. Maybe they don't think it's a bad thing to look at. But the Lord is telling me, just looking 
can bring me to places I don't want to be. That there's something about our eyes that's really, really important to be careful what we're looking at. Um, I know we as people, what we focus on becomes very clear. What you look at will become very clear to you. What you focus on will be the greatest reality in your life. I'm reminded in, in Luke chapter 9, I'd like, to, like us to actually turn to Luke chapter 9, because this is a pretty intense passage, and I want you to see this is actually in the Bible, okay? Something Jesus actually said in Luke chapter 9, and in verse 59, what's happening is all these people are coming up to Jesus, and they're saying, we want to go with you, Jesus. We want to do what you're doing. We see it again in Luke 14. Like, there's all these times where people are coming to Jesus, and they're like, hey, you seem to be pretty awesome. I want to be part of what's pretty awesome. And Jesus says this to one. He says, follow me. But this person says, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, that's intense. And people try to explain this, Pat. Well, he didn't just... He wasn't really being, no, Jesus was saying, listen, if you're about the kingdom of God, then be about the kingdom of God. At the expense of everything else, and then we'll see what this next part it says, yet to another, um, he said, came to Jesus and said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go say farewell to those at my home. I just want to go home and say bye real quick. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Like, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for my kingdom. He's saying, you can't even go home and say bye to your folks. Now, that seems harsh. But it's this whole concept, this whole idea, it's kind of like what Jamie was talking about. Is sometimes we get so focused on our past that we can't see where we're going. Do you know what happens if you try to plow by looking back? Maybe you guys don't know this one real well. Maybe anyone ever plow a field? John, you know? He, okay, for those of you who don't know, I'll, so when my little brother, Aaron, was like five years old, I don't know if you guys knew this, my family's really into running. Maybe, I don't know if you heard. Um, my little brother was like five years old. We went up to Springfield to run this one-mile run. And uh, me and my brothers had kind of been training, but not my little five-year-old brother. He was, he's about five years younger than us. And so they fire the gun, everyone runs off, and my little five-year-old brother is sad because he's in last place. Because he's five, and he just quits, right? Just, mm. And my dad, he wasn't planning on running that day. He was in boots. He's like, come on, Aaron, we can do it. And you just have to know my brother. He's been quite a dramatic person in his life. Anyone know anyone like that? I don't know. Um, he's the youngest, and that's what, you know. So he's like, I can't do it, you know. I quit. My dad's like, no, we got this. My dad's like, come on, I'll run alongside. So my dad's running down the sidewalk in boots while I'm trying to get my little five-year-old brother to go. And as we get in towards the finish area, there's people lined up, I mean, hundreds of people lined up on either side of the street up in Springfield. And they see this adorable little five-year-old bringing up the rear of this race. And what does everyone do? I mean, they just start losing it. Ah, 
you know? And what does my brother, little brother do? He looks at all the people over this way, and guess where he ends up running? That way. And then he sees the people over on this side, and guess what he does? He runs that way, right? Like just zigzagging all the way down this four-lane street. I mean, he probably ran an all extra a half mile. Like, like there's this thing, like for my runners, I tell them, never look back. As a cross-country coach, I tell them, never look back. If I see you look back, you have to run an extra mile for every time I see you look back. Because there's this whole thing as you look back, that's, that's not where the finish line is. The finish line's in front of you. So why are we looking back? Um, in, in, I'm going to skip down to um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. First of all, it's using Jesus as an example. He went to the cross, despising its shame, and how did he do it? For the joy that was set before him. He had his eyes on what mattered. Not on worthless things, not on lustful things, not on any other things. He had his eyes on what mattered, which was our redemption, like our salvation. So he was able to hang on the cross, which is the most, like, had to be the most painful, shameful torture that's ever been in human history. And he was able to hang there because of the love of the focus of his goal, the joy that was set before him. But that's not the way this passage starts. It actually starts with this. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Like, Jesus, who got this whole thing started, we're looking to him. Your translation might say, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And this word look doesn't just mean to look. It actually has the, the, the meaning in the original language of looking away from something towards something else. That's why some translations say fixing our eyes instead of looking unto Jesus. Like we're actually turning our eyes away from all the other junk and putting our eyes just on Jesus and what he's done. Because remember, whatever you focus on is what's going to become really clear. Some of the most depressed people I've ever met it's because they're always focused on their problems. They're always focused on how people aren't treating them right. But what if we focused on Jesus instead? What if we focused on what his word said instead? How would that change our outlook? Right? And some of you this morning, you're walking through some stuff, right? I didn't get way into Job. I'm not going to bring you to Job again. But, but you've been through some stuff. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the answer. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Put your eyes on me. If we just put our eyes on Jesus, I will say even Job knew this. If you look over in, in, in um, I think it's chapter 31, Job says, he actually says, look, I've made a covenant with my eyes. I'm not going to look at any hot chicks or anything like that. Like, that's not going to get me out of this situation. I've made, he says it like this, I've made a covenant with my eyes, and I'm going to look towards the Lord. If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, I want to read that before I switch to this next section. I'm talking about the eyes of man right now, the eyes of humans. 
While you're turning there, I want to remind you, did you know there's lots of things going on that you can't see? Like Hebrews remind us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things you can't see, right? I'm reminded like Elisha, remember he had a servant and his servant was freaking out because there was like all this crazy stuff going on. They're about to be attacked or whatever. And, and he's like, Lord, I pray you just open up his eyes. And he opens up the eyes of the servant and he sees like there's all these angels and everything going on around him. Like focusing on the things we see is such a mistake because that's not what's, it feels what's most real. Like that problem that you just came through, it felt like the most real thing ever in your life. Can I tell you what was more real? The Lord that brought you through it. Putting your eyes on the Lord in the middle of it is a more real thing than anything. And I'm also reminded, um, Matthew 6.33, this one gets me all the time. It says what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I need things, God. How many know sometimes you do need things? In fact, that passage is actually talking about needing clothes and food and things like that. Like, you need things. Like, like sometimes you need money. You have to pay bills. And what the Lord is saying, no, first seek. Instead of seeking the things, the clothes, the cars, the money, seek me first. Look at me first. Look for me first. My kingdom, and I love this. Because we, we always say seek the kingdom of God first, but there's a part in there that just, it hit me like a, like a ton of bricks yesterday as I was reading this again. It says, and his righteousness. Like seek first the kingdom of God, but not just his kingdom, but also his righteousness. I, I think it's funny because sometimes we like, especially with teens and stuff, we're like, yeah, but is that really a sin? Like, are we, I don't, that's not the right question. It's not, is it really a sin? Is it, is it righteous? Is it God's righteousness? When you're doing that, can you say, yes, while I'm doing this, I'm seeking God's righteousness? Right? And that puts the whole question in a whole different light. So I'm not just seeking the kingdom of God. I'm also seeking God's righteousness, which takes that whole looking at worthless things and kind of sets it off. Well, this is kind of worthless, so it's not God's righteousness, so I don't need to be looking at it anymore. I need to be looking on what the Lord has for me. In Ephesians chapter 1, um, I think we're starting in verse 16. It says, I do not cease to give thanks to you for remembering you in my prayers that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And it says this, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glory and inheritance in the saints, and what the immeasurable greatness of his power towards of us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he was raised from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. He's saying like, I want your eyes to be opened so you can know the hope, so you can know hope, say hope. So you can know the hope to which you're being called to. Like you have a calling. If you just put your eyes on what the Lord is asking you to put your eyes on, you realize you have a purpose. Listen, teenagers, you have a purpose and a plan. God has a purpose for you. And you can have hope in that. And his prayer is that your eyes would be enlightened so you would understand, you'd have hope into the thing that God has called you to. He's also um, 
saying the riches of his glory and his inheritance. Like you have an inheritance. All of us have an inheritance in God and it's like, it's rich. Like y'all are rich. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm rich. Because pastor says so. No, 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 no. You're rich because the word of God says you're rich. Like the word here, it says that you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And the third one is the greatness of his power towards us who believe. Like not just the greatness, but the immeasurable greatness. Like God has this immeasurable great power. Do you guys agree? If, if you don't agree, come talk to me after church. I have some wonderful things to talk to you about. Like, like God has this immeasurable great power and he wants to focus it on you and your life. Come on. Like, it makes me wonder why I was so worried about stuff yesterday at one point. Like, the immeasurable power of God of the universe, he's loving me and he's lavishing his grace and love and mercy on me. And I got really worked up because my daughters were poking each other. Come on, Drew. Get it together. Right? We get worked up about things that don't matter because our eyes are on the moment and not on the king of kings. And that we would just put our eyes on him. So that's the eyes of you. And, and if I asked you guys, you guys would probably like, I remember this passage and this scripture and this thing of the word of God where it talks about where to put our eyes, to where to put our focus. I'll tell you this. Whatever you look at is what you become like. Whatever you behold is what you become. Right? How many of you have ever heard the phrase, birds of a feather flock together? And it's, it's that, but sometimes you, you see it a lot with, with young people is one kid will join this group of other kids, and over time, what happens? He starts acting, dressing, talking like those other kids, right? Uh, it happens with us. We just pretend it doesn't. Like, wow, their mannerisms have changed. Yeah, they've been hanging out with so-and-so a lot, right? Like, Whatever you look at, whatever you're around a lot, that's what you become like. And we put our eyes on Jesus. The more we put our eyes on him, the more we abide every day in the word, the more we become like him. That's exciting. That's exciting. Well, maybe I'm not completely like him yet. Some of you are like, Pastor Jew, you've been doing this for a long time, and I still see some gaps in your character. Well, come and graciously talk to me about those, Right? But I'm telling you, I'm more like Jesus today than I was three years ago. I'm more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. Because every day I'm putting my eyes on Jesus. But I want to talk to you about the eyes of your enemy. How many know we have an enemy? The devil is real. You don't hear him talking a lot. Um, I've talked about it a lot in church anymore. Um, and, and people are scared to talk about the devil. Um, because, and, and pastors are, because when you talk about the devil and hell and stuff like that, people are like, well, you're just, you're just trying to make people afraid. Um, but here's the reality. The Bible talks about the devil. So is the Lord just trying to make us afraid? Absolutely not. What does it say in the scripture? That he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power and love and self-control, right? Like, like, the, the reason the Bible talks about the devil so not so that we'd be like, oh, my goodness, the devil, right? But as, like, hey, you have an enemy. You have an adversary. And as we saw in Job, guess what he's doing? He's looking for you. 
right? Yeah, he's looking for you. He's like, me? He's like, yes, you. Like, like, there is an enemy, and he is looking for you. As we see in Job, and not just in Job, um, in James, um, I mean, uh, in Genesis, it says this. It's the Lord. It's, remember Cain and Abel? Cain was pretty upset, and this is what God says to Cain. He says, if you do well, you'll be accepted, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Okay, I, I just want to tell you, one of my favoriteest things to do is scare people. Like, I love it, and it's probably not from the Lord. I don't know. <laughs> but I get no greater kick of hiding behind a door and waiting for someone to come through it and just scaring the poop out of them. It is so much fun. I was, I was running yesterday, and I ran up on this goat that had its head through the fence, and it did not see me until I got straight to it. And then I startled it, and it tried to get out, but its horns caught, and it just stood there and relieved itself in terror. Um, but that's us sometimes, is it not? That we have an enemy, and he comes up on us, He's been crouching at the door, the, the scripture says. He's waiting, and then we just get, oh my goodness, and we just spiritually mess ourselves because, because we had no clue. Like, I can't believe he would do that. I can't believe the devil would be mean to me. I mean, aren't, isn't it so that if you're a Christian that you should never be surprised by the devil? That he should just leave you alone? Because that's what Job says, right? That, that that the devil comes to the Lord and he's like, God, you know, Job only likes you because you bless him. And he's like, yep, and you can't bother him. The end. Nope. If you look at Job, what happens to Job? The enemy attacks Job aggressively. And you know what the greatest part of Job is? Is that through it, the Lord reveals himself to Job. Like Job gets to know God really, really well through the trouble and the difficulty. How well do you want to know the Lord? Mm. Not every, I will say this, not everything's the devil's fault. I do want to say James 1.14 says, but each person is tempted when he's lured away or enticed by his own desires. So, so listen, you can't blame, like, when you do something bad, you like, can't be like, the devil made me do it. I remember my first week of Bible college, we were sitting there talking about the devil, and this kid raised his hand, and he goes, you know... Sometimes we can be bad, pretty, like be pretty bad on our own without the devil's fault, without his help, right? Like you've done bad stuff before and the devil was nowhere close to you. It was all you. That's what the scripture says. But also there is an enemy. There is an adversary. There is the devil and he, he is looking for you and he is trying to tempt you. He is trying to mess you up. He is trying to impede your race. Um, he, he's coming for you. Um, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. Are you guys with me this morning? I'm going somewhere with this. I hope. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, Be sober-minded and be watchful. Say watchful. Like, what does that mean? It means be 
watchful. Don't have your head stuck through a fence and not be aware of what's going on around you. If you're going to do that, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here's what's happening. The enemy is looking for you. He wants to devour you. He wants to cause you problems. And what it says here is he's not going to be able to do that. Nope. What does it say? It says that you're going to suffer. That he might actually get a hold of you. But it says, but be encouraged because there's other brothers who are suffering in the same way you are. Like, do you realize whatever you've experienced, there's another believer who's walked through the same difficulty, the same suffering that you've walked through, and they did it successfully? Like, that's encouraging to me. That's encouraging me. In fact, the scripture tells us that Jesus was tempted in every, every manner we were, and yet was without sin. That's encouraging to me. But it says this, after you've suffered for a little while, that's not where you're going to stay. It says this, the God of all grace, he's called us, right? He has that calling that we can put our eyes on. He's going to do this. He's going to restore you. He's going to confirm you. He's going to strengthen you. And he's going to establish you. Because here's what's pretty awesome. No matter how hard the devil tries to work against you, the Lord can take it and use it for your good. Isn't that what it says in Romans 8? That which the enemy meant for evil, the Lord can use for good. Like, how victorious of a God is it that can actually take an attack on himself and turn it to a victory for himself? It's, it's almost like Jamie was saying here this morning, like the devil's trying to get you to remember that old you and make you feel guilty and ashamed about that old you. And instead, the Lord's like, yep, that was the old you. And guess what? If any person's in Christ, they're a new creation. That was the old you. You're brand new. You're completely changed. Good luck with that one, enemy. Like, he gets to change the outlook of life because he's the victorious God. The enemy gets nothing. So even the enemy's attacks end up working for the glory of God. I'll say that again. Even the enemy's attacks end up working for the glory of God of God. How great a God is that? Where's the team? Can you come up for my last point here, which is the eyes of God? We have eyes. You have eyes. The Satan has eyes. But how many know God has eyes? Um, and God sees things way different than we see things. Um, what is it that the prophet Samuel said that God said to the prophet Samuel when, like, Samuel's looking for a new king for Israel, and, you know, there's these fine young men that'd be great to be king. He's like, God, like, seriously, one of these really nice-looking guys could be the next king, right? And the Lord says something really great to Samuel. What does he say? He says, you know, 
I don't look at people the way you look at them. Because man looks on the outward appearance, but what? God looks at the heart. God is looking at your heart. It doesn't matter how terrible or how great people think you are. God is looking at your heart. Like he sees into the unseeable places. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Listen to this. He saw that. Like whatever you did, he, he saw that. Like whatever it was, he saw it. And some of you are like, oh, I feel so guilty right now. Don't just feel guilty. You know that little tiny good thing you did that no one ever saw, you never talked about? He saw that. He saw that. It doesn't have to just be a negative thing. It could be a positive thing. Like, whatever you did, he saw that. He knows you're at heart. You might have the rest of us fooled, but the Lord, he saw that. Second Chronicles 16, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Can, can I read that again? Because doesn't this seem like something that you would like hang up on the wall of your living room? I want you to read this. Listen to this again. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Isn't that such like an encouraging verse, right? Do you know where that verse is found? It's found in the middle of a rebuke to the king of Judah because he did the wrong thing. Like he was getting in trouble when the Lord said that. He's like, hey, I'm looking for someone whose heart's blameless and yours ain't is what he was saying. It's good to read verses in context, right? Turn with me to Hebrews. And I want to say it's only the Lord's eyes on you that matter. Can I, can I say this? Some of you are so worried about the eyes of other people being on you that it's bad for you. Like either one, like you need their approval, or two, you're scared of their bad opinion of you. Like positive and negative, you have people coming at you. Um, what was it? Doc Holliday and Tombstone said, to be insulted, first I'd have to care about your opinion, right? Like, at first I'd have to care what you think. Like, some of us are so worried about the opinions of others more than we are the opinions of God. And so we work for their approval, and that's wrong. So we find ourselves working and working and working and working, and you're working yourself to death because you need the approval of everyone else. And that's not what the Scripture says to do. It says, do everything with all your might, as unto what? The Lord, that he's watching. Because if you're just doing it for the approval of other people, then you won't do the secret stuff that no one sees that's right. Does that make sense? Because you're only doing it for the approval. Well, no one's gonna see that, so I'm not gonna do that. Doing the right thing when no one's watching. Because God is always looking at you. But then others have this other thing going on where we're worried about how people view us and their insults towards us and their negative view of you. And sometimes people believe things about you that aren't true, and that's painful. You, you, you ever have someone who like, 
you heard a rumor about yourself and that hurt, that, I think that one's the big one for me. Is that when I hear rumors about myself, I'm like, that's not even true. And how do you get that? And like, how do you go grab that rumor and stop it? You, you can't. Sometimes you don't even know where it came from. So what do you do in those moments? Well, then you worry about one person looking at you, not the whole world, and that one person is God, because he knows whether the rumor is true or false, correct? And if he knows where you are, and can I say something else? Maybe the rumor was true yesterday, but you're walking in repentance today, then that rumor no longer matters. There's freedom right there in that statement. Some of you have stuff that people are saying about you that is absolutely true and it's, you know it was wrong and it's in your past and people still talk about it and you're worried about how they look at you and I'm saying if it's under the blood of Jesus, listen to this, when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he died on the cross for your sins and those things are under the blood. And even though the community might still remember what you've done or your friends might still remember what you've done, Jesus says that when he removed your sins, he removed them as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. So when he looks at you, he doesn't see the person who messed up like that. He sees a son or daughter of God. He sees a child of the king that's completely clean, not because you did anything great, but because of the blood of Jesus that washed you white as snow. That's the power of the cross this morning. That's the power of only worrying about the eyes of the king being on you. Will you stand with me this morning? In Hebrews chapter four, sorry, I should have read this. It says, for the word of God, the word of God right here is living and active. You guys know this, but you stop short when you read it. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, here's the reality. You guys could lie to me about your intentions and your thoughts, but when you get in this word, it cuts through all that, and it reveals who you really are. And you either have to listen to it or reject it. Like, oh, that hurts. I don't want that. I'm pushing that away. Or you say, you know what? Let's let that cut. Let's let that dig in. And then it says this, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Do you realize it's talking about in the context of the word? You are naked and exposed this morning to this word. And that's why I say every morning, get up and get in this word. Find the parts you don't like. Find the parts that are hard for you and just let them wash over you because they're gonna pierce you and they're gonna expose you because you know what this is? This is God looking at you. That's what the word is. It's God, it's a mirror. And some of us, like, like in dis when we do discipleship, what we're doing is we're bringing other people to the word, right? It becomes a window into someone else's life. But before it's a window, first it has to be a mirror, right? Before it's a window into someone else's life, first it has to be, isn't that what Jesus said? Before you try to remove the plank out of his eye, which costs 50 bucks 
or 10 feet right now. Oh my goodness. Before you try to remove the plank out of someone else's eye, first you got to, or the, the speck, sorry, out of the, someone else's eye, first I got to get the plank out of my own. Like before this can be a, a window, first it has to be a mirror. The mirror of the word of God. Because the only person's opinion that matters to me is the king of the universe. Are you with me? Will you bow your heads for a moment? I just want you to begin to talk to the Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.